Jesus, we just honor your beautiful presence this morning in this place and right up and down this nation as your people are gathering in every place and right across the world today from east to west as people are gathering in con- from cathedrals to grass huts or open spaces. Lord, thank you that billions of people around the world have discovered you are our Savior. You are our Lord. You're in control. You're coming back again. We give you praise. We give you honor. Lord, it's so good to know you. We didn't know you once. We weren't even interested, but you drew us by your Spirit. And we're so thankful, Jesus, to you. Everybody said... Amen. You can take your seats. Thank you, team. Well, good morning, uh, Life Church, Christchurch. It's great to be with you. Do you like my new sports jacket? I thought he is such a good dresser, uh, P- Pastor Paul, founding Pastor Paul, that I have to keep up with him. And, and, and Bishop Carl is on the way up. Uh, he is just, I can see, trendy. So it's great to be with you, and thank you again for the invitation uh, to be with you. We love coming to this church. We love this place. We love the leadership team and uh, so grateful for the relationship God has forged over seven or eight years. And, uh, and you know, this morning um, we've got a prophetic words to share with you that um, Greta's going to share for a few minutes, then I will return. And uh, I felt like the Lord say in prayer today, if you'll really listen carefully, Uh, God is going to sow seeds of victory and breakthrough in people today. I really believe that. So I want you to really listen. Those seeds will be sown. And I believe in the days to come, if you will nurture them and water them in faith, in the days to come, God will, because of today, orchestrate victories and breakthroughs in your life. So really listen carefully and be blessed, be encouraged. Just before I share, you know that song that we were singing, there is a powerful anointing on it. Um, You know, tongues of fire, speak revival, prophesy as if it is done, and that cry, spirit come, spirit come. That is the cry the Lord, the Spirit of God is putting in the hearts of God's people. For God's will, God's heart is really revival in this nation and in the nations of the world. And as we cry out, Spirit come, Spirit come, the the golden bowls in heaven will fall to overflow and there will be a heaven's response. And the prophetic word, if I summarize what I'm going to share, is release the roar. We read in Revelation 5, verses 1 to 9, John is seeing events in heaven. He sees God sitting on the throne, holding a scroll, sealed with seven seals. And and then John wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And then we read how John said, Then I saw a lamb standing in the center of the throne, and he took the scroll. And further down, we read how then the the elders fell down before the lamb, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. One of the spices in the incense was onica, 
And the original Hebrew word for onika is linked to a Hebrew word meaning to roar as a lion. And this is the prophetic word, and it came as a, as a song over and over and over. Release the roar, release the roar, release the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. And I remember... Um, singing it over and over again, proclaiming it and releasing it. God is doing this in many nations across the earth, including our nation. Release the roar of war. Release the roar of intercession. Let the roar rise up to the throne of God like incense rising, filling golden bowls. Day and night, night and day, let incense arise. I, I see the time is coming. You're going to have 24-hour prayer room here. That, that prayer room is going to be filled. The incense will rise day and night. The roar of your intercession carries great power because the Bible says the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. It is also the roar of victory. The lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. So release the roar of praise. Let the roar of praise continually rise as it does in heaven. Sing a song of praise over your circumstances because praise releases breakthrough. This is God's will. He says, rejoice always, pray continuously, give thanks, give praise in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Know that the raging roars of fear, intimidation, and hopelessness being released by the enemy right now come from a defeated foe. We have the lion's authority to overcome and resist him. Because in Luke ten nineteen, Jesus said, I have given you authority to overcome all the power of the enemy. Resist the devil and he will flee. James 4, 7. The lion of the tribe of Judah is the true lion with the authentic roar. Satan is the copycat with the counterfeit roar. Roar boldly at your situations in your personal life. Don't just accept him. The spirit of the lion of Judah lives in you. And the Bible says the righteous are as bold as a lion. And that's one of the things the Lord wants to impart today to us among other things, is the boldness of a lion, the courage of a lion, that we will really roar and not just be intimidated, not shrink back, not cower, but we will stand firm in our faith and we will resist the devil and he will flee from all the purposes God has in your own life and the incredible purposes God has for this church. In 15 years' time, you're going to look back in awe and wonder. You will not recognize the incredible things that God has done. So have great expectations. He will, the Lord will accomplish the great purposes he has for you, for this church, and for the nations of the earth. You know, in Africa... I come from Africa. Any other people from Africa? I see a couple of hands. The lion's roar can be heard from five miles away, and it can roar as loud as 114 decibels. That's 25 times louder than a gas-powered lawnmower. 
And life church, you know, for some, for some here, your roar has been silenced or it's, it's gone to a feeble meow. It doesn't sound much like a roar. But you know, the Lord, in his, in his grace and his mercy and love, he wants to impart to us um, the spirit of the lion at a far greater level that we all will roar much louder in the spiritual realm that will send ripples through the enemy domain. You need to know that your roar releases the roar of the lion of Judah. You know, animals in the wild, they will be answering each other. The lion of Judah's roar is so powerful, it can be heard across this whole nation and in actual fact, right around the world. You know, uh, 2014, it was the New Zealand and Beyond Conference, the very first night during the worship, I had a vision. And I saw the great lion of Judah in his glory. And Jesus said, I am about to roar over the nation of New Zealand. I saw fire come out of his mouth, and it was fire for the harvest. And then a few months ago, I had another vision again. You know, when the Lord is wanting to to bring your attention, he repeats, of the lion of Judah, and he was shining in his glory fire. And again, Jesus said, I am about to roar over this nation, and when I do, I will release my fire and my glory. But this time, I didn't just see, I heard. I heard this roar. It was incredible. And the blast of his breath was like a mighty, powerful wind that swept across the entire nation to the furthest ends. And the sweeping wind of the Spirit will sweep the land clean, will sweep away God's enemies. And there will be a great sweeping in of the unsaved into our kingdom. God really means revival to come to our nation. So let this cry rise up. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lion of Judah, come. Release your roar. Release the roar over New Zealand. And every time you make a statement of faith, you, you roar in the heavens. Every time you pray fervently, you roar. And uh, we've discovered that, um, you know, in our travels in the UK and here around New Zealand, there, God is definitely releasing a greater fire for prayer, for mission, and for the pursuit of the presence of God across the church. It's very exciting, and Christ Church is not going to be left out. Hallelujah. Hey, he will really come. Hey, uh, we've got uh, some resources out in the, uh, in the table out in the foyer. Check those out um, as you're having a coffee or a tea this morning. And um, I did bring some copies of my book. There's only a dozen or so left, I think, but uh, we released this here last year. But just we're getting um, amazing feedback. Uh, this is our book, Afterlife, uh, Life Beyond Death for the Departed, New Life for the Grieving. And we're getting amazing feedback from people that have been reading it, um, particularly those that have lost loved ones. Uh, it's uh, really ministering to them. Uh, but also many that have, didn't have much of a clue about what lies beyond death and uh, they're being encouraged as well. So uh, if you know somebody that's lost a loved one, this book will incredibly minister to them. 
Or if you yourself have lost a loved one, a friend, somebody that is special in your life and they've passed away, this book will really, really minister to you. But maybe you can think of somebody right now that's lost somebody and that would be a really good book. Or maybe you just want to know more about eternity, um, you know, what happens when you die, what's heaven like, you know, what happens to babies that are miscarried or aborted? Children that die young, what happens to them? Um, what about resurrection? What kind of resurrection body are you going to have? Judgment Day, what's that all going to be about? Because we'll all face one. Um, and the new earth and the new heaven God's going to create. What it will be like, what will we be doing in it? So there's answers to that in that book. Um, so check it out at the end. I'd love to give that copy away to someone that has lost a loved one. Um, if, if you've lost a loved one, you have? You... Did he? Well, I'll give it to you. Since you're so eager, you may have it. All right. Bless you, my friend. God bless you. God bless you. I was praying uh, late last year about world situations and personal situations and... uh, because, you know, we're meant to be kingdom people, aren't we? We're, we're meant to pray more than give us this day our daily bread. We're meant to pray, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So many Christians' prayer lives are reduced to give me this day my daily bread. Give me, meet my needs. Lord, i got this need. i got this problem. And we reduce our prayer lives down to that, which is fine. He's a great shepherd. He's a merciful God. He wants to do that. But we got to be a people that starts praying kingdom stuff, praying for the nations, praying that God gives us righteous government praying that God sweeps through the nations of the earth with great harvest. So all of that stuff, I've been praying. And of course, there's so many problems out there. And so as you do in prayer, you tell the Lord all the problems. I mean, he knows them all, but you feel good telling him. And then as I'm just outlining all the problems, I just heard myself say, but God, you can do something. And as I said, but it was like that lion's roar. It just reverberated in my spirit. And I knew the Holy Spirit was saying something that this three-letter word with an exclamation mark is a prophetic word to the nations of the earth, to the church of Jesus Christ in this season that the world is going into of shakings and disturbances and upheavals and all manner of stuff. We need to get this word into our spirits. Jesus said this in John sixteen thirty-three. He said, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I've overcome the world. One version says, but take cheer, because I've overcome the world. You know, I sense uh, there are people here today, you're sad. And the reason you're sad is you're going through some trials and sorrows. And those trials and sorrows are painful. And it's brought a sadness to your heart. It's brought, it's brought just a sense of melancholy. And, and the word of the Lord to you is, listen, that's normal. It's just normal living in a fallen world with the devil still at large, not yet cast into hell. It's just normal. Jesus said for Christians and everybody else to go through trials and sorrows. But he said, if you know me, you take heart because I've overcome and the overcoming spirit of Jesus is in you if you're a believer. So you have the potential also to overcome however long it takes. You will overcome. Hallelujah. Paul, the great one of the greatest Christians that ever lived. You know, sometimes we think we're going through trials and sorrows. There's something wrong with us, like we're a bad Christian or something. No, no, no. You can't be a good Christian until you go through trials and sorrows. Because God uses them to refine us. 
And Paul was one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, but boy, he went through the mill. Let me read this to you from 2 Corinthians 1 verses 8 and 11. He's talking about a time he went through severe persecution in Asia Minor or Turkey. He said, we do not want you to be uninformed about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. But this happened. That we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And on him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul went uh, with Barnabas to five cities in Asia Minor, uh, modern day Turkey. And in every place, he was run out of town, persecuted. One place, he was stoned and left for dead. He got resuscitated, revived. And so he's now, some years later, you can read about that in Acts 13 and 14. He's writing about this incident. He said, I don't want you to be uninformed. We went through such terrible trials that he said, I thought we would not live through it. I don't know if you've ever been through a trial where you think, I don't know if I'm going to make it through this. That's how Paul felt. But at some point... In that trial, that severe trial, he said we were under pressure beyond our ability to endure. Sometimes you get a trial, it's beyond your ability to endure. That's why you've got to rely on God, because his ability in you will get you through it. It's beyond your ability. And God does that to teach us reliance and dependence upon himself. He said, it was beyond my ability to endure. But he said, it's some, you know, I don't know how long it took him, a day, a week, a month, or, or whatever, for him to get revelation of heaven's perspective. Wait a minute, I'm starting to see this from heaven's viewpoint. This is happening for a reason. This is happening that we might not rely on ourselves. Paul was a smart man. He was an educated Jew. He was, uh, you know, he was the best of the best. He had all the degrees, but God was teaching him, son, you got to rely on me. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in your weakness. He said, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, because he raises the dead and we set our hope on him. He'll yet deliver us from our trial and our sorrow. And some of you today, you've got to set your hope again on God that he will yet deliver you from that thing you're going through. Or you're watching your sons and daughters go through, or your grandchildren go through. There's got to be a sense that we rely on him. One of the greatest curses of the Christian life is self-confidence and self-reliance. God has to teach us God-confidence. Reliance upon the Holy Spirit. Max Licardo tells the following story about a canary named Chippy. I understand it is a true story. We have a picture of Chippy. There he is. Chippy the canary. Max writes, Chippy never saw it coming. The problems began when his owner decided to clean Chippy's cage with a vacuum cleaner. She removed the attachment from the end of the hose and stuck it in the cage. The phone rang and she turned to pick it up. She'd barely said hello when Chippy got sucked in. The bird owner gasped, put down the phone, turned off the vacuum and opened the bag. There was Chippy, still alive but stunned. Since the bird was covered with dust and soot, she grabbed him and raced to the bathroom, turned on the tap and held Chippy under the running water. Then realizing that Chippy was soaked and shivering, she did what any compassionate bird owner would do. She reached for the hairdryer and blasted the pet with hot air. Poor Chippy never knew what hit him. A few days after the trauma, a friend contacted Chippy's owner to see how the bird was recovering. Well, she replied, but Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. He just sits and stares. 
It's hard not to see why, sucked in, washed up and blown over. That's enough to steal the song from the stoutest heart. It's interesting when I tell that story, um, you can easily identify the people in the room that have a compassion and mercy gifting because they're going, oh, poor Chippy. And then everyone else just laughs. Life has chippy moments. Life has chippy seasons. When it seems like everything is being thrown against you. Sucked in. Washed up. Blown over. Life has chippy moments. And what the devil wants to do in those chippy times, those chippy seasons, is he wants to steal your song. Because sacrificial praise, when you can praise God and you're going through trials and you're going through difficulties and you don't understand what God is doing and you, you can almost get offended at God. When you, when you don't get offended, when you say, Lord, I don't understand what's happening to me, but I am going to praise you anyway. I'm going to declare you're a good God. I may not understand this appears to be not good, but Lord, you're good. That's what your word says. That's what Jesus said. So that's what I'm saying. And I'm going to keep praising you and I'm going to keep worshiping you because finally you will manifest your goodness in my life even if it takes some years you will show me that he is a good good God and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life sometimes it takes time and the devil knows the power of worship because he used to be the angel in charge of worship and bringing all the worship of heaven to the to the throne of God until he rebelled and he fell and he knows the power of worship and yet so many of us allow ourselves to be silenced and made mute by the circumstances of life that are painful and difficult and we wonder where is God in them and we shut down And our life becomes encaged. And we become like a chippy that sits in his cage just staring blankly. He lost his song, that bird. And God doesn't want the same to happen to you. I remember in my early 30s, just a few years ago now, that um, I get that rude laughter everywhere when I say that. It's just I must look ancient or something. Uh, In my early 30s, I had a battle with Hodgkin's disease, which is a type of lymphatic cancer. And my first wife, Jane, had been struggling with multiple sclerosis. And that year, she had to use a wheelchair for the first time. And so it was a heavy-duty year. Had three little kids trying to pastor a church. I'm battling cancer. She's battling MS. And then I recovered. I've been fine ever since, praise God. Uh, It's been wonderful, but you know, I got better, Jane got worse, and turns out she had the very worst form of multiple sclerosis, and so she ended up in a wheelchair, and finally she ended up not being able to do anything for herself, and so I became her caregiver, resigned, and for the next 16 years of her life, I was her full-time caregiver, and over those times, uh, it was difficult, and Uh, Many times we both felt overwhelmed, but you know what? We discovered God graces you in the midst of your trials and your difficulties. And I once asked Jane, uh, but halfway through that caregiving time, I said, what have you learned all the years you've been in a wheelchair? And she said to me, I've learned to smile. You see, the MS had robbed her of her ability to sing her lungs, her voice, Uh, she couldn't sing anymore, but she's still singing on the inside. And she would, she'd smile her way through that whole thing, everywhere we'd go, she'd be smiling. And I, wow, you know, you've learned to smile. 
See, she, she never let the song be silenced. And when she passed away, and I began to look back over that 21 years of her being in a wheelchair, that 16 years of 24-7 caregiving, I just scratched my head and I said, Lord, I don't know how I did that. I don't know how I got through that. And I just looked back. I don't know how. I, and the reason I was saying that is, you know, when you're in a trial, God will give you grace for it. When you get through the trial, you don't need the grace anymore. He lifts it off. And you're thinking like, how did I get through that? Anyone ever had that experience? Like, how did I get through that? You got through it because of the grace of God. You know, there's only about 40 hands went up. Well, all the others of you, those trials are coming. You, you know, you won't be left out. You will be able to raise your hand at some point. Or maybe you were just being lazy this morning. Let's hope it was that. And, you know, God squeezes good out of every situation. And that, that, that th- it's really a 30-year battle with MS. Uh, we were married 30 years and 21 years in a wheelchair and all of that stuff and cancer. You know, two books came out of that. Two books came out. My first book, Hope, and Greta's in my second book, Afterlife, came out of that. And now those books are blessing thousands of people around the world. We've just had them printed in Urdu in Pakistan. Just got a photo this morning of a Pakistani evangelist showing me this pile of 750 books that have just been translated. And he's going to give them away to Muslims and evangelists and, and widows and widowers. And I'm going, yay, there's Pakistan. This thing's getting in because, God, you allowed us to go through 20 years of training trial and difficulty and you put some riches in our lives about having hope and adversity and believing God is a good God no matter what happens to you and that message now is going out via books and via tapes and via live or whatever it's going out to encourage people and Greta and I know that our mandate is simply to encourage and strengthen the body of Christ that whatever you face God is faithful Jesus is wonderful he's coming again and it's worth holding on to your salvation and don't get offended because the devil will accuse the character of God and try to slander God to you don't believe his lies he is a good good father we sing it and we're his kids Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 9. We're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We're perplexed, but we don't give up and quit. We're hunted down in some parts of the world today. Christians are persecuted and hunted down, but God never abandons us. We get knocked down, but we get up again and keep going. Wow, there's a lot of buts there. Got to get that word into our spirit. I love Psalm 73, 26. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. What an amazing verse. Sometimes you get in and you look your personal circumstances or what is happening nationally or globally. Like it's a crazy world globally at the moment, isn't it? Crazy. Hurricanes and solar eclipses and blood moons and North Korean dictators poised with his finger on the button and all this stuff is going on around the earth and terrorism and radical Islam. And you can look at that and go, ah, and I've discovered the news media love a negative story. So I'll pump that thing negatively. But you know, your heart and flesh may fail. What is happening? But we've got to say, but God, you are the strength of my life and my portion forever. And I think sometimes in order to have strength for what you're going through, you just need to pause and look back at what God has already done. 
I love what Paul says in Ephesians 2, verses 2 to 5, coming on the screen. It says, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. Do you know that one sin in your life is enough to separate you from a holy God? Just one sin. Adam and Eve, one bite of the fruit. They lost paradise. One act of rebellion, one sin. And if you die with that sin, not forgiven, you stand before God and he says, I wanted you to come into my presence, but my presence is so holy, I cannot allow sin into it because you would be consumed. I would consume you, and you must now suffer the consequences of your sin, and the consequences are that you will now go to a place of eternal separation from me. And friends, anywhere where God isn't is hell. Because where God isn't, there's no hope. Where God isn't, there's no love. Where God isn't, there's no harmony, no unity, no relationship. Any place where God isn't is hell. And that place that people go to who die in their sin and their sin is never forgiven, uh, that's the place they end up. And you know, God is not willing to any perish. The Bible says that. He so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Wow, Jesus died for sinners. And you, see, we can read a verse like that and go, that's nice. Friends, that is, that is it's gone, but that's more than nice. That's more than, that's incredible. You were destined for hell and eternal separation from God. But God, you were dead in your sins. I was dead in my sin. I was dead to God. I didn't want to know about God. I was just doing my own thing. I believed that he existed, but that was about all it was. I was dead in my sin. So were you. But God, who's so rich in mercy, he came into your life. He made known to you there was a Savior that hung on a cross and he died in your place and he took the punishment for his sin, your sin on himself. So that when you believe in him, the Bible says as many that believe him who receive him, he gives them power to become children of God. When you believe in Jesus, you know what happens? God takes all our rotten sin off us and he puts it on Christ. And he takes the perfect righteousness of Jesus and he puts it on you so that when God looks at you, he sees you as perfectly righteous in his sight. And you say, but David, I'm not perfect. I've got faults. Yes, you're talking about your condition. I'm talking about your position. Your position before God as a believer in Jesus, he sees you perfect and righteous and you die. You go straight to be with the Lord in heaven. You will enjoy eternity with him. You will hopefully uh, overcome things in this life to, to shape your life and and, and 
One day your condition will match your position because the Holy Spirit's working on us all our lives to improve our condition, to match up with our position. But you're not acceptable to God on the basis of condition or your religious performance. You're acceptable to God on the basis of your faith in Jesus. And through that you have position as a son or daughter of God. Your sins are washed away. So when God looks at you this morning, he doesn't see sin. He sees a perfect son or daughter because he's looking at you as if you're Jesus. Wow. Come on, Christchurch, get a bit excited. I know you're a conservative city, but you're allowed to say that's pretty cool. He saved us and he doesn't want anybody to perish. That's why we've got to pray for the harvest, pray for our loved ones, pray for our city, pray for our nation, pray for the nations of the earth. I want Jesus to come back, don't you, and sort the mess out, but I don't want him to come back too soon because there's billions of people that don't yet know him and they're going to perish if he comes now. He's waiting for the church to preach the gospel of the kingdom in every nation. That's why you've got to be involved in mission as a church. Praise God you're reaching out to the nations and beyond yourselves because that's the reason for our existence. I'll close with this because time's nearly up. There was a true story I'm about to tell of two men. They were viewing a painting called Checkmate at the Louvre and a photo of that is coming up on the screen. And uh, one of these two men was a chess champion. He was in Paris for a chess championship and uh, so they went to the Louvre to kill a bit of time and they're looking around and they come to this painting called Checkmate. And what it was meant to represent um, is that the devil is the guy on the left in the green with the red feather and the guy on the right is representing humanity and the angelic realm is looking on and the devil is playing this man for his soul. And uh, he's smirking at the guy because the guy's looking really worried because the title of the painting, Checkmate, suggests that the devil has won the game. Checkmate in chess is when your opponent has got you cornered and you can't move your king. And so it's checkmate, game over, you've lost. And this guy has lost, supposedly, in the, in the painting and, and the devil's about to possess humanity, possess his soul. And so this chess champion, he's transfixed by this because he loves chess and he's what an unusual painting and he's staring at it. The other guy gets bored and wanders off. The chess champion, he's just still looking at this and he's focusing in on the chessboard and he's looking at it, looking at it two, three minutes and he says, but hey, wait a minute. Something's not right here. And he gets, he steps back. He said, the artist got it wrong. It's not checkmate. The king has another move. And church, you need to know, when it looks impossible, your king has another move. When it looks like you're defeated, your king has another move. When it looks like you're crushed, your king has another move. When it looks like the nations are spinning out of control, how many believe the king has another move? The devil doesn't have all the moves. Jesus has all the moves. And he constantly outsmarts the enemy. Hallelujah. That's why we can take chair. Because your king has another move. That's why seeds of victory and breakthrough are being sown in your life this morning. If you dare to believe that your king has another move. If you dare to believe there's a but to that medical diagnosis. That medical diagnosis might look dire, but your king has another move. There is a but. There might be a full stop in the medical report. But I'm telling you, there's a but that God can inject into that thing. It isn't a full stop. The story isn't finished yet. 
And so we must remember in this season, and I think what God, Greater and I want to leave you with this morning is, church, get your roar back. Come on. We're not pussies. We're lions. We're not meowing like kitty cats. We've got to roar like a lion. Come on. We've got we to get some spirit back in us. We've got to say, yes, Jesus. You know, I don't mean you've got to be all noisy and a rabid Pentecostal like me, you know, you can be, but just get some noise in your spirit and, and, uh, and, and that and, and get your roar back and, and say, but, but God and my king has another move. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads in prayer.